Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. Welcome back to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick, joined by co-host Rob Schmidt, director of Taiyu Meditation Center and founder with myself and Jim Wilson of Mini Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol, California. This week on the show, we converse by telephone with Shawinigan Ungaya, a.k.a. Guillaume Gothero, founder and director of the Sanctuary Healing Center in the Catskill Mountains, where he offers various forms of healing modalities, including shamanic energy and sound healing, plus plant and herb therapies, as well as an awakened leadership course. So, Guillaume, uh, welcome back. And um, in the uh, we were just starting to get into, uh, towards the end of the last hour, the um, work, the considerable work that you're doing around shamanism. I'm wondering if you could start by just for our listeners who may not be as familiar or have different ideas about uh, the shamanic path and shamanic training, if you could just describe shamanism as you understand and practice it. Well, it's probably, you know, uh, one of the oldest uh, spiritual practices on the planet. You know, uh, the some of the it's tribes. It's the oldest. Yes, it's the oldest. Yeah, because you know, some of the if you look at Aborigines in Australia, you know, some of their stories are you know, this around forty, fifty thousand year old stories. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bushmen in Africa, or you know, or the Native American, uh, Native American, are a bit more recent in North America, for what we know for now. Uh, South America in the you know, some tribes have like, been here for ten, twenty thousand years, uh, and it's a it's a path or it's a spiritual, um, I would say, just way of living, way of being that's directly connected to nature. Uh, being because of the understanding that we are part of nature, we are nature. You know, we're just one of the species that is out there, and so we are ruled by the same mechanism that is a tree or a river, or a mountain. Uh, you know, the only difference is that we have this big frontal cortex that gives us uh, a lot of thinking time, but also a lot of responsibility, you know, on how we are to be in the world. But it's a it's a path of direct revelation to there is no uh, really teachers out there aside from nature and the plant teachers and, uh, you know, the different teachers that are out there. But there's not like a a master or a guru or even the word shaman, you know, it, it comes from really from Russia. It's not a, a word you would hear in South America or in North America. We talk about medicine men, medicine women. Um, so it's people that carry medicine, but we all, you know, in our way of talking, we all carry our own medicine, which is our own gift. Our own, you know, it could be our voice. It could be some other gift we have. And that's our medicine. And our medicine is here to heal the world. It's medicine. So it's here for healing others. Or healing, you know, our tribe, our collective, our families, our planet, and so it's beautiful because um, very often I meet people, you know, that are, you know, uh, 
Jewish or Christians or Buddhists, but they all, you know, still do work with tribes and do work with sometimes with plant medicine and all that. And it doesn't really interfere at all with their practice. In fact, it can support a lot their meditation practice. Like, it can support a lot their own self-reflection and their own self-healing and their own way of being in service in the world. So that's that's beautiful because it's it's it has one of the most simple and complex at the same time and deep wisdom uh, that is carried by this planet, you know, that we are living on. It's an interesting uh, question that you, you kind of touched on this with people who come out of uh, Western traditions, uh, whether they're Western religious traditions, can partake of uh, shamanic practice and find find their uh, uh, gift, as you put it, uh, uh, that they can use to add healing to the world. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's but there's quite a contrast in the cultures in which shamanism has arisen, or uh, or, or uh, medicine traditions that are very uh, attuned to nature, to use a more general term, and the world that we're coming out of, which is in the modern Western capitalist culture. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious what challenges you see for uh, people from from modern contexts to actually enter into the world of nature in this way and regain that connection? Well, I think one of the, I don't know if it's exactly your question, but I think if I understood correctly, for me, what I see a lot is that it could be misused too, you know, like any practice. You know, if you don't change your behavior or whatever you're doing, you can still spend, you know, 10 hours on your meditation pillow, your yoga mat, or whatever prayer practice you have. Or you see a jerk, you know, with your colleagues or <laughs> yeah. your friends or your partners, you know. Uh, I know people that have never done any of these practices, any of the spiritual practices, and who are beautiful people, are in service to the planet, are in service to others. And they don't really have a, a core spiritual practice. They don't do yoga, they don't do meditation, they don't do any shamanic work, they don't do Reiki. Uh, but they're good people. <laughs> they're good human beings. They are in good relationship with each other and good relationship with the earth. And so, uh, I think that what I really see sometime happening, you know, in the same way meditation can be taken out of its original foundation and aim, uh, and brought back into maybe a corporation that's doing a lot of evil on the planet or in a group of people that maybe are not very aligned. Yeah. Hopefully we hope that this practice, because it brings you down into your heart, you know, ultimately are going to liberate you from those behaviors and all of that. But it can also be misused, you know, if the ego is in the way. And it can be used just as a way of dealing with the pain on a daily basis, but not really changing profoundly who we are and how we behave. And I can go back to my work and because I meditate, I can maybe take more pressure, you know. I can maybe put more work hours on my work, but is it really what I'm being called to? Is it really what the planet needs, my community needs right now? That's always the question. Who is it for? You know? Well, so you, you're, you're kind of answering the question I asked because you're, uh, if I drive part of the challenge of a Western, a Western person getting involved in this kind of, um, 
practice is that there's a there's a danger of appropriation where Getting, getting back to ownership, as you were talking yeah. about in the last hour. You know, it's like checking a box or, yeah, I'm going to go on the ayahuasca retreat and uh, check that yeah. one off. And uh, uh, it becomes spiritual practice as entertainment. And and in in a way... Or or, or ego agonizing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, in a way, what I hear... Yeah, and I've seen... And I remember a retreat. There's this one retreat out there, and, and I won't name it, but... Uh, you know, you have to be a member of that club and, it, you know, there's a high seduction process on how you can enter that club, which is basically based on your achievements as a corporate person. <laughs> uh, and it's a retreat where, you know, they fly you with private jets. Oh my God. On beautiful island on the other side of the world That's and where good. you do, you know, meditation and plant medicine and all that. And you do, uh, there's some workshops and content there about social activism and all of that. So, if you look just at the scale, you will say, well, that's great. They're doing plant medicine and meditation and they're talking about social activism and social justice and all of that. But it's really white privilege. And yeah. also, it's totally misaligned. Uh, flying on private jets and all of that, it's not <laughs> being a good, a good human being on the planet today. Because the planet doesn't need more jet fuels, you know. And uh, it's really used as an ego-driven thing. You know, even the whole selection process to me, so misaligned about who is there, you know, who are you bringing there? And it's really staying in your own little world, you know, and keeping talking to the same people and feeling good about it, you know, by bringing all those things. So there's always a risk there. And either it's meditation, you know, or the plan, if the intention is wrong, you're not going to arrive in a, in a, in a good place, in the right place. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter if you do ayahuasca, or if you go on a meditation retreat or, you know, whatever it is, if your intention is for self-importance or for, like you say, check a box, I've done that, or yeah, I've done this and I've also done that, then it's clearly not answering the question, who is it for, in the right way. It's clearly not for others. So, you know? so, so we can put makeup on it and make it look good, you know, yeah. I think it's for others, but... In truth, you know, you very quickly, you can see that it's, it's really misaligned here. So, so how do you, as a teacher, uh, as someone who offers both training and, uh, and offers a vehicle for introducing people into this work, how do you filter for that, uh, kind of intent? And, uh, you know, what, um, skillful means, as it were, do you use to, um, help people see that their t- intent may not be what they think it is? Yes, I, I think first I, you know, I warn people about taking up that path, which is the path of death and rebirth in many ways. So are you ready to really see what is to see about yourself? Are you ready to let go if something is not aligned uh, with what maybe your higher purpose or your heart is telling you? Uh, and we might not always know. We might say yes, and in fact, we we're going to do no, or we might say, well, maybe I'm not ready. And in fact, maybe we are. So it's hard to know when we start on that. Uh, but I think it's mainly through the way uh, we transmit those teachings. You know, to me, the, the shamanic path, like I said, is a path of direct revelation. So by definition, it doesn't need a human teacher. I'm not needed for people to experience, you know, the wisdom of a river, a forest, or a plant. We're just, you know, facilitating, you know, holding a space 
with a certain energy and bringing people together so they can experience that revelation directly. But to me, it's always about asking about intention. I always spend a lot of time with people with me that want to do work about what is your intention here? What are you trying to achieve? And honestly, if someone calls me and says, well, I'm this big CEO, I work a lot with executives and, and he tells me, well, you know, I'm running this big company, I'm working 100 hour a week and, and this and that. And I want to meditate because I want to be able to open this other company and manage my marriage that's falling apart and all of that. And I want to keep it all together as it is and don't feel that anxiety anymore or sleep better. I want them that it's probably the wrong goal here. There's nothing wrong about wanting to feel less pain and sleep better and feel less anxiety. But, and we can put that on the paper as a goal, but what is going to really make you happy? And when we start diving, we realize very often that a lot of things have to change in the life that we are living. And the question is, are we ready to embark on that journey? Because it's really, you know, my teacher and the plant medicine world always told me when I started to walk with him, he said, you understand it's the path of no return. What you're going to see, you won't be able to unsee. And it might be not comfortable sometimes but there is no return. You won't be able to go back to that old life mm. because the suffering becomes bigger once you see the truth, once you see your own stuff. You know, when you in the light, your own shadow, it's sometimes more painful than when you didn't really see them or grasp them fully. And so that path of shamanism really exploring depth, that soul work, as we call it. So going deep dive inside but also, you know, going up to transcendental experience, to experience of oneness and experience of, you know, God or whatever we call it. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and you raised a, a point in, in what you just said that uh, I wanted to get to. And since we're in our second hour, I better do it now. Um, and we can come back to some of the other stuff as well. But it's this um, that you lead uh, uh, awakened um uh, leadership course, uh, or, or uh, offer awakened leadership courses, and so uh, you just mentioned something along those lines, and I'm wondering if you can expand on what you what you mean by that, how that how that um, the, the folks who 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 are attracted to that, and and how they might learn to clarify intention in particular. Yes, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of business and a lot of study now, like, um, financial studies that shows that companies that do good in general and that treat their people better, and they're either being their clients or their employees, usually perform better in times of crisis, like mm-hmm. market stock crisis and all of that. And there's a lot of study about that because the, the clients are more loyal, the employees are more loyal because they believe in something bigger than just their paycheck. You know, and just the product they are selling. They believe that they're doing something good. And innately, we all have in our goodness, whoever we are, whatever loss we are, whatever we're doing, we have in our goodness. We, we definitely hold that inside of us. And everything we do, if it's aligned with that, we're going to feel quite good about ourselves. And if it's not, we're going to suffer. Any other way that is far away from that inner goodness, is going to make us suffer in some form or shapes. So the Wiccan Leadership Program, my idea was and is, you know, that 
once we align with our inner goodness, which is aligning with our heart. And where is a deeper desire as a human being, which can take some time to discover and, and, and find out because most people don't always know. Once we act from there, when we speak from there, when we take every step we take in our life is from there, there is a joy, a happiness, a fulfillment, a sense of meaning in life that appears that cannot appear if we're not in connection with that. And so that leadership that's from the heart, you know, is much more powerful because of that than leadership that's just from the head or from the ego. That's based on competition. That's based on ownership. And it's hard for traditional corporate models. I mean, now there's new corporate models like B Corp or other, you know, models. But it's hard for traditional models to believe that competition and kind of killing your enemy, which is your competitors, and, you know, making more profit, you know, and paying people less sometimes and making, you know, even having more of this money is not good for the company. And especially when company are held by shareholders, you know, or by, you know, investors. When people, very often people that come to me are more people that run their own business and own it. So they have more latitude to change things. And very often it's because they had a, some kind of big breakdown personally or in their life and they want to change really the way they, they do things in general, and their business is one of them. Uh, so I think the corporate world, you know, today is changing also because even the people in the stock market, the investors, and the board that runs this company realize that when they don't do that, there's huge risk for the company because one day the consumer might realize that, oh, I don't want to buy these products anymore because the CEO is a jerk or because the product is done by slaves on another country already or by child or whatever it is. Uh, and so that, you know, thanks to, I guess, you know, social media and the general, you know, awareness that we have, I think, much more quickly than before, it's hard to heighten what's going on today. And big companies, you know, know now when something like that happens can really literally overnight lose a lot of their value uh, because one, a few customers decide to take a campaign online and say, well, the product was done. Here's a picture of the factory. Um, so I don't know if always people shift for the right reason, <laughs> but uh, there's definitely a movement in that we cannot stop, you know, uh, towards that because that, that, that's who we are. At the end of the day, you know, that, that's where we're aiming. I don't know if it's in 10 years or in a thousand years, but that's where the place, the place of equilibrium between each other and with our environment is going to be. If we don't do that, we're on a closed system. We're going to run out of resources uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's interesting that the corporate world and the uh, existence of corporations uh, seem like another form of life, you know, another, another or, you know, self-organizing system that, includes uh people and materials and things like that and the early stages of that is a it's still a very primitive kind of life mm-hmm. and, totally. the, and the uh, interesting opportunity as you describe is if 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 somehow the people engaged in the that world uh can bring a higher purpose and the 
um, covenant under which that corporation exists, and you mentioned a couple of modern variations from the standard corporation can actually become more commonplace. It might be possible for this uh, uh, this odd form of life to evolve and uh, effect to good purposes things changes that are needed in this planet. Yeah, and and to and to do it for the right reason, you know. I mean the what's called corporate social responsibility CSR programs, you know, were born like I don't know twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, and they they work for a little while, uh, and companies were doing that mainly to kind of you know rub a little bit the back of their customer to say hey, we are doing good. Look, we have a foundation and we're opening some orphanage, or we're doing this, we're recycling and all of that. But if the core of your mission is misaligned. You know, and you have the whole CSR program that's not going to work. End of the day, you know, it's just the way it is. Because at some point, you know, your employees are going to realize it, which means your customer are going to know about it at some point, and you are at risk. So you need really to reflect on that. And yes, if you are a CEO and you're only here for three years and you're paying, you know, a lot of money every year, you might not care because you might just here for a few years and take as much money as you want in that process. Right. But you might care because you have children. And you realize, wow, you know, I, I need to care. It's important. You're listening to the Sanctuary Podcast with Angel Deer. While you're listening, browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com. Got it. Well, we, I want to. Um I want to touch on as many uh, points as I can uh, while I still we've still got you here uh, today. So um, I wanted to invite you to speak about trauma. That's one of the things we, you touched on briefly in the first hour. And um, and in one of the emails you shared with us, you, you talked specifically about emotional, physical, and sexual trauma. So so how does the the work you do, the shamanic, etc., these modalities that you use, how does how do you? How are you able to help people? Presumably, help to heal their own uh, uh, traumas that they're carrying with them. Mm. Well, the you know tra- trauma is something that we hold as a as a collective, uh, you know, as countries sometimes. Mm. Uh, That's for sure. As, today, as as collective, you know, sometimes as religion, sometimes as groups, as families as communities, as gender. Right. So there's many, many layers to it, and it's quite complex things, but there's no body that's really immune to it. And it doesn't have to be uh, something that has been dramatic, um, like being sexually abused and or something really big that you remember, but, you know, repeated small emotional trauma every day, mm-hmm. uh, especially in your childhood. Uh, it's been proven now to create massive damage on, you know, brain developments and, capacity to have empathy and capacity to connect to others and capacity to be in proper relationship with others as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the statistics, uh, especially in the U.S., are quite dramatic. Uh, you know, uh, 75% of children in the U.S. Uh, carry some form of trauma uh, today, uh, young children. Uh, you know, and when we look at, you know, that trauma, you know, very often it's emotional, but, you know, in 30% of the cases it's physical and very often also it's sexual. And so the reality of it is that uh, when we carry trauma in our body, because that's where trauma is located in our nervous system, in our tissues, um, when we carry that trauma, uh, 
the body is amazingly well designed because they've evolved for millions of years. <laughs> and the body is capable of hiding it and not making us feel it. So we can function. You know, it's a, it's a good system. It's, it's designed so even if we go through something atrocious, somehow we don't always throw ourselves by the window. You know, that can happen, but very often we just survive the trauma. We might be kind of functioning, you know, I mean, a seemingly normal life. But in fact, many things in our behaviors are not normal behaviors, they are trauma behaviors. You know, incapacity to have deep emotional intimacy with people, incapacity to feel empathy, uh, many things like that. So our capacity to connect basically to the world is very limited because our nervous system is in a response place where it cannot connect. It's not open. And it has to do with the vagus nerve, and you know we're not going to detail that, but there's a lot of study now on, on what happened in our nervous system. Uh, when we approach trauma with shamanism, uh, it's a very different way than the traditional um, psychotherapy or uh, or trauma work that's out there. But it's very similar, just with different vocabulary and tools. But the way when we work with plant medicine, for example, with trauma is that we rely on the belief that you have inner goodness and inner wisdom. And we rely you know, on the belief and the proven belief and the proven reality that nature, because it's the oldest teacher, you know, it's a billion-year-old, multiple billion-year-old teacher, if you take the earth, has learned and seen so much that it carries wisdom that we can connect to as being part of nature, as human beings. And so when we bring people into those experiences or we have people experience some shamanic work that have to be with plants, we rely and we trust that the capacity of your body and the capacity of nature brought together to certain set of practices and rituals can bring healing because it's been proven for tens of thousands of years, those methods, you know, are, have evolved. You know, it's not like they are old and just uh, folkloric methods. They have evolved and been refined and refined and refined. And so the way the medicine people works today is based on a lineage sometime of thousands of years of so many teachers. And so they've proven to work. And I've seen them, to come back to trauma, working amazingly well with people with trauma. Sometimes people carrying things that they have not been able to get rid of through traditional methods or very often just medication, which very rarely uh, heal the trauma. It can, you know, help cope with it. It can get us go through a, ba- a bit of bad moments, but it doesn't really heal it. It can allow the body to finally reopen and about, uh, allow the nervous system to re-engage and can help people to be relating with themselves and others in such a different way. Sometimes 30 years after trauma happened, after just you know a few nights or a few days of work, just because the body knows how to heal. You know that's how cancer heals in some people. That's how some people get out of depression. It's not that they are smarter. It means they just connected that wisdom in their body. So that's what we access in shamanic work. We're accessing the deepest nature of the being, of each other. And we trust and we know because we know that it's present in the core of your being. It's in your DNA, it's in your bones, it's in your breath. There is the wisdom. 
We just need to be able to reconnect to it and to be, you know, supported or guided into it. But really, it's you are your own healer in that process anyway. You just have support. You, plants, yeah, you, me- you mentioned earlier the, the idea of the co-creation. And yeah. um, it's certainly been our experience when we've uh, spoken to uh, practitioners on a shamanic or a... a, a a medicine healing path that um, it's important to have agreement from the the people mm-hmm. that you're working with. Yeah, and it sounds sounds to me like that's an that's a, an important part of this process that you're describing. That that someone has to be in agreement, and it's not a context where you're they're being fixed. That you're not the fixer, yep. right? Yes, exactly. Those two points are the most important. And I'm glad you, you mentioned it. The agreement is is key. There's no work if there's no agreement, period. So I'm not going to send healing to someone unless that person has asked for it. I've offered it, and they said yes. Because that's the difference between shamanism and, let's say, sorcery, or right. all the type of craft out there where I intervene in your space to do something that you haven't asked for or you're not willing to receive. And to me, that's, that's very black and white. There's no maybe. It's a yes or it's a no. You know, so that's very important. And when we deal with trauma, it's even more important because very often people were in a position where what they were asking for didn't happen. This is stop and it didn't happen, for example. So for the nervous system to heal, it needs to trust. It needs to trust you to voice first what you want, and two, that the person in front of you is going to do exactly what you ask for. So then you can walk with the body, the person or the conscious mind of the body of that person, and the healer. It's like the three points that are working together in alignment. So that's, that's really the most important, you know, and the foundation in, in that work. And we don't, we never do work outside of that. You know, I, I'm always surprised by people that pass something in here. Oh, I'm going through something, you know, send me healing, you know, just to, <laughs> on their Facebook friends. Right. But I mean, you allow basically hundreds of people that probably don't know at all to send energy your way. And you know what we do? We don't do that. You know, we want to know who we sit with, you know, who we are with. We want to be connected. Not that most people have bad intention, you know, but it's just self-respect for knowing that not only your physical body is your property and, you know, it's your ownership and your boundary to be very clear, but also your energetic body, your emotions and everything that flows in and out of it. You know, you have to use the safeguard of it. And so it's always important to know what you're asking for and who you allow in that space. Yeah, I think that, that sometimes when people do that, that, they don't really believe it. You know, they, yeah. it, it's more like yeah, a, uh, it's more like a statement. I just want to feel better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or to be heard or seen, you it, know, whatever yeah. is going on at that time, which, you know, in theft, not wrong, you know, I mean, there's suffering there and we need to acknowledge that, but might be a different way to hear. Yeah. One, one question I wanted to ask that's related to, um, this work with trauma and, and particularly uh, with nature, we've, um, had a friend on the show a couple of times that uh, uh, is involved in the uh, 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 work called forest bathing, where people go into 
uh, natural settings very slowly and very deliberately, and and, and they, they linger and let let themselves experience nature. Right. So it's a very very interesting practice, and there's been a lot of it's a uh, Japanese practice. Yeah. Noisy Japanese. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, Although it's, becoming much bigger mm-hmm. here here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, but one of one of the things that uh, this guy, who's uh, one of the major practitioners of this in the U.S. and trainers in the U.S., uh, described was that when people interact with trees, like they'll part of this practice, people will go, you know, there'll be a group going together, but then sometimes people, for certain periods of time, will go off by themselves, and one of the things they can do is like work with a tree. And mm-hmm. that there there seems to be a very strong connection with uh, uh, getting people in touch with their grief and mm-hmm. and with trees. And and I, I'm just bringing that up because it was an interesting way in this particular model that is described where nature and the energy of nature is working with us to show us something deeply within ourselves. And it's a very specific kind of interaction. And I'm interested if, if that resonates with uh, the work that you do, if you find that natural forces can ally with us to uh, facilitate this uh, healing process that you're describing. Yes. I mean, they have a capacity of holding that that's way beyond, you know, and wherever we are, we, we know that when we watch the sunset or beautiful, you know, stars at night or we walk in the forest, you know, that feeling uh, is profound and relaxing and peaceful and ease the nervous system and, you know, it might make us, you know, having thoughts and different feeling and maybe crying and grief coming out and pain and emotions and, you know, that's, you know, we just have tears, you know, we are moved and we are held. Uh, because we're part of it, you know, and there is also this belief and that's, that's something, you know, I see a lot with people that I work with that we are grieving our separation with nature. We are grieving, you know, all the damage we've been doing to what we call our mother, you know, what we're born from, you know, the one that's nourishing us, that's giving us our food, our waters, our air that we breathe. And it's like our mother, you know, she takes care of us yeah, you know, I- every day. And we're grieving that. We're grieving that disconnection, you know, and without knowing that creates so much pain and that creates, you know, you know, anger and many, many trauma that we have and we carry as a group because we have been away from that home. I want to add, I want to add to the, what you've just said, which, which I'm in uh, profound agreement with, um, the, the way in which, um, people's interaction with electronic devices today is is leading attention away from uh, interaction with appreciation for engagement with with nature and and you know it's a it's a um, it's not that you know I'm saying you should you should you know be a luddite and abstain, uh, abstain from from uh, you know computers and phones and stuff but but there's also um, a way in which, as, as you as you're just saying, it seems to me nature heals, and 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 yet there's there's a lot of tendency towards uh, a, a, a sort of compulsive relationship with these devices, and yeah. and yeah. little or no relationship with with the natural world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know if your work engages with that, uh, with people. Uh, I mean, it's always part of it. I mean, the, the sanctuary, so the healing center here is in the middle of a nature uh, reserve, you know, and mm-hmm. in the middle of the forest. And there is, you know, deers and bears and eagles and, you know, what kind of other animals <laughs> and things around because uh, people very often arrive there and, you know, and after they might come for a retreat for a weekend or just for a few hours, but after 10, 30 minutes, they say, wow, I'm feeling so good. I'm feeling relaxed for you just by being here. Yeah. And I, I know that it's, it's what's going to help them the most at the end of the day, that reconnection. Because then really the beauty of it is you become silent enough. If you sit there with, you know, it doesn't have to be a vision quest for five days in the woods, you know, but it could be just 30 minutes sitting along the river or, you know, even in a park, you know, in the city. Uh, some thoughts, some things arise from you that need to be witnessed and need to be seen. That's when your wisdom starts speaking. Because there's a reflection, it's like a mirror, nature is a mirror, and reflecting back to you. And you think something and say, oh, it's funny, I was looking at that sunset or I was looking at that river and I thought about my mother and about my relationship with her. That's that's shamanic work. It's mm. being able to silence our mind enough by slowing down, mainly, you know, we just slow down, we just listen by hearing that. And those things happen, and the healing that those words, I mean, those thoughts, those emotions carry are very profound always. It's always from higher wisdom, higher consciousness inside of us. And it's literally native speaking to us. And we can develop the skills that, or remember them because we have them. It's like we just forgot them. Kids know that. They just know how to talk to trees, you know. Mm-hmm. Just forgot about it. We can very easily learn that language again. You know, it's like it's not French, it's not English. It's nature language. So it speaks differently, but the language we know because we're part of it. Mm-hmm. We're born with it. So it's something that anybody can do and anybody can tap into that. Well, um, in this in this conversation, um, we're started, we're getting towards the end here, and we like to make room for our guests to um, tell people um, number one how to get in contact, etc., but also uh, current projects, any any upcoming events, new um, initiatives, etc. So uh, you are invited to uh, do any and all of the above. No, well, thank you for that. Uh, well, the best way to get in touch is to go on the website of the sanctuary, and the website is thesanctuaryheal.com, thesanctuaryheal.com. Um, and we have a whole schedule of uh, workshops, retreats, events uh, that are coming up in the next few months, and I think we have something starting in January next year. So we have year-long program, Training in Shamanism, uh, that starts in January every year and in September. Uh, that are you know, done remotely so people don't have to come here. I mean, there's a little bit part that's here, but we have students from literally all over the world that join that program. Hmm. And then we have smaller format retreats and workshops, which could be over a weekend or a few weeks. And some of them are in Peru, because Peru is kind of my second home now. And, and uh, we do a lot of you know plant medicine work over there. And so we have two retreats a year, uh, you know, in uh, May and in November. Uh, in Peru, where we bring, uh, you know, a group of people there. And then, like I said, you know, there's plenty of other work around trauma, a lot around trauma, but around healing in general. 
and reconnection with ourselves, uh, either as they program or we program. And for people that can't travel or, you know, even don't have the means to attend retreats, we have a lot of free content. Uh, we have a, a podcast and also a big blog with a lot of the subjects uh, that we talked about today where I go in, in depth to certain aspect of it so people can just find all of that on the sanctuaryheal.com website. That's great. Well, we, we very much appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us on this show. And uh, I, th- I kind of feel like we just s- scratched the surface of your work. So I'm looking forward to future conversations where we can go a little deeper in some of the uh, very interesting stuff that you're uh, dealing with now. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, you know, and I hope the people who listen at least, you know, will will just go for that voice and go for that inner wisdom and find some time in nature. At least if we have achieved that, you know, some people say, oh, you know what, I'm going to spend an hour more a week in nature and, and you know, sit with it. That would be great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, thank you for taking time to be with us here on The Mystical Positivist. We really do appreciate it. And I had a good time talking with you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Mystical Positivist. This is your host, Stuart Goodnick. This week on the show, co-host Rob Schmidt and I have been speaking uh, by telephone with Shawinigan Ungaya, a.k.a. Guillaume Gothereau, founder and director of the Sanctuary Healing Center in the Catskill Mountains, where he offers various forms of healing modalities, including shamanic energy and sound healing, plus plant and herb therapies, as well as awakened uh, leadership course. Next week's show on The Mystical Positivist is yet to be determined. It may be a rerun. It may be live. But that show will be airing on Saturday, March 23rd from 4 to 6 p.m. Upcoming on the spiritual calendar in Sonoma County, follow your dread to the mystical heart with the Taiyu Meditation Center staff. Our monthly first Wednesday meeting at 7.30 p.m. will be April 3rd, 2019 at Mini Rivers Books and Tea, 130 South Main Street in Sebastopol. Story has it that in the very bottom fissure of hell, the deepest recess glowing with unquenchable fires, a simple drain cover lies unnoticed. Find and remove the cover, descend through the narrow drain, and emerge into the highest, most radiant realm of heaven. If this metaphor resonates with something in you, our practice group that focuses upon follow your dread may resonate still more deeply. No one can be divorced from or denied access to the mystical heart. But to open and then live within the mystical heart of the world and ourselves has a cost. We don't get there by denying, sweeping under the rug, or putting aside the aspects that we dislike of who we have been. The mystical heart receives the light and the dark without judgment. So in our group and individual practice, we seek to cultivate a heart-mind that holds all contents of consciousness simultaneously with discernment and without discrimination. Following your dread is an undertaking best accomplished in the company of fellow travelers and with guidance from those who have gone before. Join us once a month uh, at Mini Rivers in downtown Sebastopol to learn more about the realistic path to the mystical heart. On the Thursdays at Mini Rivers event in Sebastopol this coming week, Wu, Wu Wei and Taoist formal practice. That's with Wu Ming Chuan, also known as Jacob Newell, local Taoist priest and author of These Taoist Bones. That's on Thursday, March 21st, 7.30 p.m., Many Rivers Books and Tea, 130 South Main Street in Sebastopol. 
Jacob will share some of his basic ideas of a path called Wu Wei Dao. This path emerged in the Yellow River region of pre-Han China during the Warring States period, which would have been like 2,500 years ago, when an unnamed group of cultivators got together to write a text known as the Tao Te Ching. This text was picked up 500 years later and became a central inspiration for the Taoist religion. Wu Wei Dao roughly translate as, quote, translates as, quote, the way of non-struggling, unquote and has been practiced both within and without the Taoist religion for millennia. Jacob will discuss the role of formal practices such as sitting meditation, chanting, and Taiji Quan, as well as opportunities to abide in effortless naturalness, not burdensome practices that we must undertake to improve a flawed nature. Jacob Newell has 25 years' experience with Buddhist and Taoist meditation and Qi cultivation. He lives in Santa Rosa and is an ordained Taoist priest. He's the author of These Taoist Bones, a book of contemplative poetry. He writes the blog, Taoist Blog of Nameless Stream, and runs Old Oak School of Tao. Thank you for joining us once again for the Mystical Positivist. Podcasts of all our shows can be found at www.mysticalpositivist.blogspot.com as well as commentary and discussion of topics of interest to the show. Also, please send comments and feedback to mysticalpositivist at gmail.com and join us again next Saturday. We leave you with music from a CD called The Lute in Dance and Dream, masterpieces for lute from the 16th to 18th centuries, performed by Lutz Kirchhoff on Renaissance and Baroque lutes. This piece by Paul Charles Durand is called Carillon. Enjoy. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. Till next time, this is The Sanctuary Podcast. And Angel Deer, signing off.